Here we go, folks. It's Skip Happens, uh, Skip Clark, along with Deb Lamb Fear from Skip Happens. And of course, with me tonight, I have the legendary man. I'll tell you, I'm just when I heard that I could have Pat Boone on the podcast, uh, just knowing the music, knowing uh, a lot of the movies and just a lot of what this uh, this gentleman has been through during his life and uh, just uh, spanning the decades. And uh, good evening, Pat. How are you? Hello, Skip. Great. And Deb, too. Good evening. Welcome. As I told you, I'm partial to Debbie's. Love it. Thank you. <laughs> I grew up here in my house. I'm in the house where I, where we lived for 60, 60 years. Oh, my Lord. Hill. We moved in when we were 25. Do you see the, uh, the Hollywood sign if you look out your window? No, no, I'm not close to that, but okay. Uh, okay. it's still up there. It's still up there. Oh, yeah. That I do know. That I do know. But uh, it's an honor having you on here, Pat Boone. Uh, spanning the decades, um, you know, you've seen it all. You've been there. Um, you've been hanging around legends all your life. And just everything that you've accomplished, uh, just going like way back. I mean, there's a reason that we have you on t tonight, because you have written a song that is hitting radio right now, yeah, which is yeah. very exciting. Uh, but, um, you know, if we could talk about your history a little bit, your life, um, okay. back, uh, you married your high school sweetheart, Yep. children. If you, can you tell us a little bit about all that? Sure. Shirley and I met at 16 and I was, uh, not into country music so much. So I was growing up in Nashville, but I was a fan of, of Perry Como and Bing Crosby, especially. And even Eddie Fisher, who came along while I was a teenager. And I was into pop music. But then when I met Shirley Foley, she transferred from West High to this Christian high school where I was. And I learned that she was the daughter of Red Foley, the great country Hall of Fame singer. Oh, wow. Okay. I developed a keen interest in country music right away. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> because of a keen interest in Shirley Foley. And eventually I did sing on the Grand Ole Opry with Hank Snow and, and at other times on the Grand Ole Opry itself. And so, of course, I eventually wound up doing some 20 more country albums. But back then it was just Shirley and me, teenagers, as truly the high school romance. But when her dad, who was a widower, Shirley's mom died when she was 17. And he was moving to Springfield, Missouri to uh, start the Ozark Jubilee, which was the first big national country music show on network television, uh, Red Foley and the uh, Ozark Jubilee on Saturday nights. He was taking his three daughters away, including my wife, my wife-to-be, Shirley. So we asked his permission and uh, he tearfully gave it to us because he had three daughters to try to take care of without a wife at that point. And I was taking one of them off his hands, <laughs> the, the oldest. And so I didn't ask my parents about it because I knew they would have strapped a, a straight jacket on me and said, oh, no, you wait till you get out of college. But we married at 19, a justice of the peace. Pretty soon we moved to Denton, Texas, which was a great music school in North Texas State. I was thinking I was going to be a teacher preacher, Skip. No kidding. Uh, uh, yeah, because singing was my hobby and my love. But I, you know, even in Nashville, I knew it was a very unpredictable thing to try to build a life on. And now I was married. And uh, so I was going to be a teacher preacher. But I had won a talent contest 
national contest called the Ted Mack Amateur Hour, mm-hmm. which was the forerunner of uh, all the talent shows today, The Voice, America's Got Talent, all those shows. Uh, and so I, I wound up winning a, the talent contest on national TV and then recording. And the first record was a million seller top 10 hit. And from then on, my dreams were coming true. And I never, never became that teacher preacher. <laughs> what was the first, the first big song? Pat? Two hearts, two kisses, wow. make one love. It was a, a record on the Dutone label. Uh, little known R&B record, you know, because back then R&B music wasn't known to the big pop audience or even to the pop DJs. It was a separate genre. Mm-hmm. It was another world. They had their own artists, their own charts. And, um, and, and Two Hearts, Two Kisses by the Charms was number one R&B, but it wasn't on pop radio. So I recorded it. One heart, not enough, baby. Two hearts will make you feel crazy. One kiss will make you feel so nice. Two kisses take you to paradise. Two hearts, two kisses make one love. And that record became a million seller, my very first record. After that, the next record was Ain't That a Shame, Fats Domino. Fats Domino tune, sure. And that started a record that I hold in the record business of 220 consecutive weeks on the Billboard Hot 100 single chart without ever being off one week, 220 weeks, over four years. Elvis came along right after me, but he went to the army after about three years, wasn't recording. And then in the 60s, the Beatles, after about three years, quit putting out singles. They just put out albums. So the closest any artist has come that we've been able to find out to uh, my record of 220 weeks was Elton John of about, uh, I think, 157 weeks. But then you miss a week and you got to go back and start over. Sure. I wasn't keeping up with that skip. I only <laughs> learned about it later. I just was used to being on the charts. That first week when I opened a Billboard magazine and I didn't see one of my records, it was a terrible shock mm-hmm. because I'd gotten used to it. Yeah, I mean, that just to, to get used to something like that and that being your first million seller back in the day. Yeah. Just yeah. Fabulous. Fabulous. Yeah. Um, I, I'm impressed with the statistics that you can remember. I can't remember some of the stuff. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> if something like that happens to you, of course. Another one was uh, when, when um, well, another one is the biggest interval between chart appearances 30 years. Uh, from the time in the in the oh I guess the 70s mm-hmm. when I when I left the charts to uh, 1997 I think it was when I hit the charts again with a heavy metal classic album. I was going to ask you about the heavy metal stuff. Well, oh, that was a 30 year gap between uh, the previous record and nobody else has ever touched that either. 30 years between chart appearances. Now wait a minute. Did you have uh, did you have to wear the tattoos and um, and do all that? For the tattoos. Shows? Yep, that was Dick Clark's idea to have me and uh, Alice Cooper present the award for hard rock heavy metal because I had done this album of hard rock heavy metal songs. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Stairway to Heaven and uh, and wow. uh, Alice Cooper's No More Mister Nice Guy, Enter Sandman, Metallica, all these songs. So of course I walked out on the American Music Awards with a black leather vest and no sleeves 
down to my navel and I did a lot of push-ups before I walked out there. With I tattoos, I, I still have the tattoos. They're in a drawer upstairs, but I do have, <laughs> I have the decal tattoos that I was wearing. It, it got me kicked off Christian TV. I was going to ask you about that because I know some yeah. of the music you were doing and I know your faith and how proud you are of your faith and yeah. how deep you go with that, that to do the heavy metal and then they kind of push yeah. back and say, that's it. You know, we're done with you. They thought I had gone off to the dark side because <laughs> I, obviously when I walked out on that American Music Awards show with black glasses, even darker than yours, tattoos, vest, leather. And then I talk about having recorded these songs and we give an award to hard, for hard rock, heavy metal to Metallica that night. Mm -hmm. And I had recorded their Enter Sandman and they were bowing to me and saying I was their new lead singer. I mean, it was too, even Cooper was shocked. He didn't, he backed out at the last minute before oh, really? he went on. And he, he was supposed to wear white buck shoes, V-neck sweater, have his long hair pulled back under a golf cap and carrying a glass of milk. So it would be clear that we had swapped images, but he backed out at the last minute and I wasn't gonna let Dick Clark down. He had no, paid never. for this hot costume. I was wearing, so I went out and I took pleasure in shocking the king of shock rock, Alice Cooper. Although I don't call him Alice, I call him Coop. And yeah. uh, and and he was his jaw was open. He couldn't believe what he was seeing. But it it the Dick Clark said that that moment got more incredible front page, top of the news item uh, coverage across the world not just the U.S., even more than Michael Jackson moonwalking or uh, Eminem and Elton John singing together and Marilyn Manson, Pat Boone coming out in leather as a heavy metal artist uh, was the top scorer of his whole career on the American Music Award. Yeah. I think Deb had a picture of that. I think Deb was talking about she has a picture of, oh, of yeah. in the uh, in that I went character. all the way, man. In my all own the life. way. My own wife didn't know I was going to do it. Oh, no. Shirley did not know? No. I, and I knew she would object. I knew she would be appalled, worried. And, and she was watching that night when I was introduced and walked, came out through the fog, stalking like John Wayne, you know, oh, no. with the tattoos and the whole thing. And, and, and Cooper backing off his jaw hanging open and the crowd going nuts. <laughs> and she, when I came home, of course, I had some explaining to do. <laughs> and how did she take it? Well, she got over it. She thought it was, she thought it was really unbecoming and was going to cause a lot of fracas and, uh, and maybe bad reaction. And it did. But yeah. after a while, you know, when all the dust settled and I went on Christian television about two months later with about 70 Christian bikers in the audience. And, uh, and and explaining that just because you ride a motorcycle or have tattoos or or mm -hmm. or, or pigtail, you know, and a, a big strapping guy, it doesn't mean that you're a bad person. Uh, that then I noticed that and found out that a lot of these heavy metal guys were Christian believers, but this was a ruse or a, a costume or a a way of selling records that they had come mm -hmm. up with, and yet. When I got to know them, even Dave Mustaine of Megadeth, 
I turned, it turned out that we were Christian brothers. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. And, it, you know, I got to be honest with you. It amazes me that you can remember all these names and you know who these people are. I mean, just, you know, you're a couple of your generations apart, but then you brought it all together. And well, how you it just, was very you know, vivid recall. to me at the time. Yeah. You know, very vivid. And I went on, on the Geraldo show mm -hmm. to explain it. And of course, Dan Rather and, and uh, Tom Brokaw, they all were interviewing me. What is this about? And it gave me pleasure. And of course, the album, uh, this, uh, uh, you know, my uh, Pat Boone in a metal mood, yes. went, went way up the chart, halfway up the chart the first week, and then went to like number four uh, in um, Alternative, which was mainly college, mm -hmm. and then uh, about number six on the hard rock chart. It even went way up in the country charts because all those heavy metal songs were favorites of a lot of country artists too. Mm -hmm. Smoke on the Water, uh, Deep Purple's Smoke on the Water became a big country hit at the time. My mm -hmm. version. Yep. Oh, I'm sure it did. And, you know, that says a lot for you, though, that if you can, you know, you, you put this album out and it flew up the charts. I mean, yeah. it it says a lot for you and who you are. That, uh, <laughs> you know, the way you, like I said, your generation's apart, but you brought it all back into one yeah. and, and made, yeah. it, made it work. Um, well, you know, I'm descended from Daniel Boone who was a pioneer, he liked to go places where other people hadn't gone. <laughs> and you, that was and you do a question for me. That I was going to be a question? Okay. That was a question. I have friends who have heard that and wanted to know if it was true or a rumor. I, I'm a direct descendant from James, his eldest son. And as I say, he was, he was born in 1734. I was born in 1934. And, uh, and he was... He was a pioneer. He he really loved to explore. And, you know, after I did the heavy metal album, Skip, I did another one about uh, 10 years later that I'm very proud of, and it's called uh, We Are Family, R&B Classics. And I went in the studio, because what do you follow that heavy metal album with? Well, we I went in the studio with uh, Smokey Robinson. I did Tears of a Clown with him. I did uh, I iconic... R&B classics with the original performers. I did uh, Cool in the Gang Celebration, Get Down Tonight, KC and the Sunshine Band. I did Way of the World with Earth, Wind and Fire. Went to Detroit, recorded Can't Help Myself with Levi Stubbs and the Four Tops. Oh my God! And so Augusta and recorded Papa's Got a Brand New Bag with James Brown. Hey, hey, that's got a brand new bag. <laughs> now that's pretty good too. And well, you know, I just, uh, I'm a recording fool. And the other statistic I'll give you is uh, one we've researched carefully. Apparently, I've recorded more single songs, separate songs, than any other artist in history. I looked Frank that Sinatra up. Frank Sinatra did some 1,500 all classics. Bing Crosby, who was my original idol, some 2,000. I've recorded some 2,300 songs. Oh, my Lord. Still going. And, of course, now, although I didn't record Can't We Get Along, it is another chart record, and it's going viral. Mm -hmm. And I'm really proud of that. I didn't sing it. I did originally. But then 30 years ago, when I first wrote it, I didn't have a way to market it. So now, at this time, in the midst of all the riots and the division in the country, and as we're trying to come up with answers, I got Wendy Moten. This black yes, artist who's great, who's a wonderful awesome. artist. And uh, 
and pop and gospel, and then Jimmy Nichols to write the arrangement mm-hmm. and with the black chorus. And that record has gone viral. The video is, I'm over six million it's on huge. my uh, Facebook page. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and YouTube, of course, is where you can find it most easily. Although you can go to my patboon.com or a patboon Facebook, because it's, uh, it seems to be really, I, I'm, I have hope that this song, Can't We Get Along, will be the song of 2020. I don't know of any other songs that have become huge hits that the, most of the record-going public or listening public are aware of. Yeah, there's some, there's some, uh, some hits that are mainly rap and alternative, but a song that the general market knows, I'm hoping that this will, it, we're, it, we will be nominated for a Grammy with the song, Can't We Get Along, because it is what we need now. We need communication. We need caring. We need, one of my lines is, if you look right in my eyes, you might see straight into my heart. Can't we get along? Can't we be friends? That's what we need. And it has to start here in the heart. It, 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 um, it amazes me that that song was written 30 years ago, as you say. And now in the the way the world is right now and everything we're going through with the blacks and the whites and everybody, just the rioting and the protesting and all that. It's like, that was 30 years ago, but yeah. yet it's today. And yeah. you, you hit it, you hit it, Pat. You, well, that's, you that's know, it was, I, I give credit of course, to the first one who spoke those words was Rodney King mm-hmm. in uh, 1992 when he was beaten badly, almost to death. He was resisting arrest. Yes, he didn't. Uh, he was not defensive about that. He knew he was wrong and he was right to be arrested, but not to be nearly beaten to death. And it was it was videotaped and then went. it sparked the L.A. riots, which were as bad as anything that we've experienced in this country in this in this last few months in Milwaukee, Portland, uh, Seattle, yeah. Minneapolis. I mean, Los Angeles looked like we had been bombed by invaders, you know, Mm -hmm. and Rodney King, when he came out of the hospital, he just, instead of saying something inflammatory to keep the riots going with a cracking voice, he said, can't we get along? Can't we be friends? Can't we work it out? Mm -hmm. And I cried then and now, and I wrote a song and I didn't have a way to get it public, but 30 years go by and suddenly (laughs) there was the opportunity to to bring Rodney King's words and his sentiment to music and at a time when hopefully it's going to help make the way for the, for the, for the diminishing of the divisions and the growth of equality in every way that we all want. Everybody in this country wants to see the problem solved, does not want for there to be division or inequality. We just don't know how to work it all out. So, it's going to happen when enough good-minded people and good-hearted people get in the same place and communicate, give and take, and work it out. Mm-hmm. I wow. think um, music is that universal language that everybody just knows. And if you really have to get something out there, in my opinion, it is the best way to get it out there. You no, know, it is. It is a language. It is the language, particularly of young people, it has been for 50 years. But we, we all communicate and receive communication in our music. You're, you're a Debbie. My daughter Debbie grew up in this house and one of the great show business music stories of all time 
is her recording of You Light Up My Life, which had already been recorded by the guy who wrote it, uh, Joe Brooks. He was a rather profane guy, but he, he wrote jingles in New York and he wrote this very touching song. And he had his girlfriend who was his jingle singer, Casey Sizik was her name, to uh, record it on Warner Brothers. Well, Casey, she was a professional singer, but not a recording artist. Nobody knew her name. And I don't, th- I don't know if there was ever a vowel in her name. It was <laughs> Casey Sizik. And she was holding everything up. She wouldn't sign a beginner contract. Nobody knew it was going to be such a big hit. So Mike Kerb of Dot Records brought it over the, her, that record over to our house to let Debbie hear it and us because she was singing with her sisters with me in my family act at that time because I four teenage daughters I had I couldn't leave them at home these four pretty <laughs> girls I had to take them with me on the road for eight years so Debbie was the lead singer and she she went to New York at, at Mike Kerb's uh, uh, invitation. Joe Brooks was so frustrated that his girlfriend was holding everything up that Debbie walked in a studio, just a big cavernous, dark studio in New York City. And with an engineer, Joe Brooks said, well, let me play the music. And Debbie, you sing it. Let me hear you sing it, what it sounds like. Debbie sang that song. I think she did two takes. He just took Casey Sizzik off the recording. They They didn't redo the music. The key was perfect for Debbie. Uh-huh. She just sang, closed her eyes and sang, you light up my life. You give me hope to carry on. And uh, Joe Brooks had goosebumps. He said, forget Casey, put Debbie on it, became the, one of the biggest records of all time. Gosh, we were playing that so often. And and I don't mean that in a bad way. It was a good way. It was just, you know, a Debbie Brooks, you light up my life. I was working Casey, radio when that came out. What <laughs> What's that? Casey Sizzik is still wondering what happened. <laughs> yeah. The song. I don't wish her bad luck. No, it was, no, but no, it really was good fortune for Debbie Boone. Yes. Yes. Oh yeah. Absolutely. And to this very day, you know, people still talk about it. People are singing it. People. It, yeah. Classic. It's a, you know, it's a staple of our music. Yeah. So which is cool. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. But I got to go back. I mean, we're talking about this song that you have written and it. It's yep. coming out. It's, it's on the radio now. You can see the video and it just means so much to everything that's going on. And that's how we hooked up to do this uh, podcast here tonight. Yeah, to find I'm out so about glad. That. So thankful, Skip, that yes. you're bringing attention to it. And uh, maybe a lot of people still haven't heard it, haven't seen the video. The video is what really hooks people in addition to the song, because you see the newsreel footage from these cities across the country that we put together in which you see black, white, men, women, old, young, protesters, police, reaching out to each other, communicating while the Molotov cocktails are going off and stores are being robbed and the, and the smoke is in the air. They're reaching out to each other saying, let's, let's get along. Look, you know, I, I care for you. I, I recognize you as a, another human being. Mm-hmm. Let's don't hurt each other. Mm-hmm. And you see, you see him kneeling, praying, police and protesters. You see the legitimate protesters, that is. Some were not legitimate. But uh, the, li- the literal, literal uh, protesters embracing black, an older black woman whose store has been robbed. She's weeping and the big burly white cop is embracing her to say they'll do everything they can to 
help her get on her feet again. Little black kid with tears in his eyes. He's scared. And the big white cop is saying, it's okay, boy. It's going to be okay. I mean, these scenes in this video, and then you hear the song calling for this kind of recognition and communication um, is so moving. I just, I yeah. hope that it touches enough hearts as people hear it and see it that and it's growing that it feed is. this it feed is. this can't we get along feeling right right you know you um you very deep profound faith your beliefs yeah and all that and it, it's coming from your heart i can hear that i can actually feel it you're on the you know we're going coast to coast here tonight and i can feel it through my computer as i speak with you how how true you are and how passionate you are about what you're doing and what you've done and where you've been and where you're going. And, uh, Pat, that just speaks so much. Um, most, you know, and I don't mean this in, in, in a bad way, but that, you know, we talk to a lot of different stars. We, we interview a lot of different people and when you're, you're, you're right there, like you're 35 years old, like, Hey, this is what we're doing and I'm not stopping, but there's other people that's like, nah, I don't want anything to do with that anymore. I did that. I, I don't care. I, you know, but it, that's uh, not the case with you. I listen, can feel the love coming that, through my computer. I've been so blessed. And, uh, you know, my name Boone comes from the Anglo-Saxon word Boone. It means blessing. So-and-so granted a boon to his subjects. So-and-so is a boon to his profession. We won't talk about boondocks or boondoggles. <laughs> That's probably the absence of blessing. Yeah, yeah. But I have been blessed. I've always wanted to share my blessings with as many people as I can. That's why I was going to be a school teacher preacher in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And uh, God gave me a different platform. But uh, now I am 86 and then halfway to 87. Mm -hmm. And I realize I'll be joining surely one of these days before too long. And therefore, the time I have, I want to utilize in the, the best possible way mm -hmm. to put a cap on everything I've done that's good. And even to add to it, I've written my last book. It's, it's, it's called If, just the one word, If. It'll come out after the first of the year. And it's, uh, it's, the subtitle is The Everlasting Choice We're All Making Right Now. Mm -hmm. And the if is... You, are we going to go to heaven or hell? God wants us to come to heaven. That's his wish. That's, he made us for that purpose. But we're going to choose whether we go there or not. I so feel so bad for Bill Maher, who ignores this whole question and, and mocks it and ridicules it. And one of these days, he's going to meet the one who, who he declared does not exist. And he made fun of. But anyway, that book, I will leave behind. It's it's loving, but it's sharing the the everlasting question. Do you want to go to heaven or not? God wants you to come to heaven. I mean, he's making it available for all of us. Absolutely. And but then again, I in writing the book, I realized that maybe 150 million, according to the latest polls, say that people are that 150 million are not going to church, not going to synagogue, they're not that they may not pray. They, they don't, they don't know. They don't have a clue. They don't know what lies ahead. They just hope that if there's something out there that they'll make it or, and, and so there's a, a desolate, lonely feeling, a, sort of a desperate feeling of not knowing what the future holds. 
And we know there's a lot of suicide going on again mm-hmm. because people, they lose hope. And, but there's hope. I mean, man, we can, there is hope. There is we hope. can have positive hope. We can have knowledge. We can have certainty about what lies beyond this short life. We can have certainty, absolute certainty. I know right now, Shirley's been gone a year and a half. Mm-hmm. But if somebody could tell me, you know, next Thursday at three o'clock, you're going to drop dead. I'd say, great, at 301, I'll be with Shirley. Hey, come on. I'd be uh, packing to go. <laughs> I, um, I was listening to one of your previous interviews, and I was very, very touched on how you approached your whole um, life with Shirley and how you started out so young and you didn't know what path you were going to take. And, and how you had to balance the entertainment industry because you, she knew what that was all about with her yeah. being in that and, and yeah. knowing and having the four kids and just that whole interview. But I was just so touched at how you had mentioned how Shirley's not gone. She's moved to this mansion. Yeah, that's right. I just had never heard that before. And it was very, I believe she sees us. I believe, you know, I'll tell you one last thing. I know we won't have forever, but, uh, in this call, but um, t- uh, several nights after she went to heaven, and that's why I'd, the Associated Press asked me for a statement. I said, Shirley Boone is not living at 904 North Beverly now in Beverly Hills. No, she's moved to a mansion in heaven prepared for her and for me by the one who said that where I am, there you may be also. So uh, you can address her in heaven. <laughs> but now, we had a uh, memorial service about six days later, and we have an acorn chairlift in our home because the last six months of her life, she was not only bedridden, but, you know, she, she couldn't even go upstairs uh, before that. I mean, she, she could before that. We had an acorn, cha- acorn chairlift to take her up so we could at least sleep in the same bed. So the last six months, it was idle. She couldn't even do that. She was bedridden here in the den. So now, uh, the night before the memorial service, my four daughters have gone upstairs to, to rehearse a song they're going to sing in the service. They, they, she taught them to sing, and they sang perfect four-part harmony, and they were going to sing a beautiful song, Make Me an Instrument of Your Peace. So now, they were, they were upstairs. We had other family here, and we hear all this, this uh, excitement coming from the front door where the stairs are. And we come running, and what's happened? They said, we went upstairs to rehearse and we heard a click and a whir and that acorn chairlift came up the stairs by itself. Oh my oh. Lord. Now mechanically, it cannot do that. Oh my. I checked on it later. It, it still operates the same way. It doesn't go anywhere unless there's weight on the seat, unless you turn on the key and then give it directions up or down. But that chairlift went up the stairs and we people will say, well, you know, if she was just invisible, she didn't need a chairlift. No, but she wanted us to know she was there to hear her girls sing mm-hmm. one more time. Oh my and, she, and she did. She was there. So I, oh. I believe that the invisible world is just as real as the visible world. And there's plenty, if you read the Bible, you know, there's plenty of instances, of course, mm-hmm. in the Old and New Testaments. And, and so I built my life, our lives on the truth of from Genesis through Revelation and that God is real and he is spirit 
Yes, he gave us physical bodies and that in ways we, we were created in his image, but he's not bound with a physical body. Uh, and so we, there are instances where people did come back from the dead and were seen or heard in the Bible. Of course, uh, the, the pr pr primary one, we think, is God's son who came back from a tomb from the cross and then rose again. And so our faith is built on all of this. And we believe that she could have come back to hear her girls sing and was probably hovering unseen at the memorial service when they sang. And, you know, right now she may be listening to and enjoying this conversation. I, I feel, feel her. I can feel it. I'm, I'm, her, you know, I do. I feel bonded to her right now. Like I don't see her, but she can see me. You know, and therefore, I, I've got to mind my P's and Q's, brother. <laughs> gotta, watching, watch out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I got to tell you, Pat, that uh, obviously we've never met before. We've never chatted before. But what you've been telling us about your life with Shirley and what a wonderful person she is and your faith and how deep that goes. Uh, just this conversation, I can feel it. I Seriously, I know that she she's there and yeah, just, yeah, makes, yeah. I can feel the warmth and uh, just talking to you is it's making real. me I mean, the real, the, really the spirit world is just as real yeah. as the physical world but the reason it's of not the, always seen is because man fell out of relationship with God through lack of faith he only gave him one command mm -hmm. he gave him everything else perfect he says don't eat that fruit or that tree there now, some people scoff at that but the Bible says it really happened. Mm -hmm. And it's just one command. And he says, if you disobey that, then the, the life lab will be cut off. You will die eventually. And, and it was through lack of faith and belief and what God said that man fell. Now, it is only through faith that is believing in things that we can't see that we come back to him. And uh, he's made it all free and easy all we have to do is read his word and, and obey it and we can have absolute certainty yep, absolutely. that we're going to be together again with our loved ones i mean it's going to be one absolutely. grand family reunion one big party it's going to be yeah, a party up there. literally they describe it's described as a wedding feast there you go a feast and can you imagine the feast that's going to be but then I mean, uh, you could even get tired of a feast, but uh, I guess <laughs> but we'll have eternity to find other things to do that will that will be pleasurable and delightful and productive. You know, won't ever get tired of that. You have been so fortunate to have and to live a long life with such a wonderful woman, uh, you yeah, know, especially right. from being high school sweethearts to. Yeah. You know, and the son of an entertainer. So she she was prepared. Yes. I mean, the daughter of, a, of an entertainer. Right. Right. She knew what all of this was about. And even when uh, when I did a couple of kissing scenes with Shirley Jones and Margaret. I was going to go there. That's where I, I was going to go. Shirley Jones when I didn't kiss Shirley Jones. No, no. I, I remember reading about that. <laughs> it wasn't in the script. It was my first movie where a kiss scene was asked for and it wasn't in the script. So I asked the director if we could postpone it till later because I hadn't even talked to my wife, Shirley. Mm -hmm. We were, I was 20, 21, 22 years old. Now that may be naive for a 21 or 22 year old, but I hadn't planned to be in the movies. 
suddenly I was there uh-huh. and I hadn't discussed this idea of kissing actresses as part of my profession. And so when I t- talked to Shirley about it, she said, look, I'm way ahead of you. If you're going to be in movies, and there's going to be some kissing, but promise me one thing that you won't enjoy it. <laughs> It'll be purely business. I said, I promise. There you I go. came back to the studio willing to do the kissing scene with Shirley Jones, but the story had leaked out to the press that an actor had balked at kissing the leading lady, Pat Boone, because they guessed it must be for religious reasons. And it wasn't. I just wanted to stay married. That's all. Well, eventually, I, I promised her I wouldn't enjoy it. Well, I didn't even kiss Shirley Jones, but I did. I did kiss Debbie Reynolds, and I kissed and Margaret, and I kissed Diane Baker and, and mm-hmm. several others, but- uh, um, And you didn't enjoy it. I promised Shirley that I didn't enjoy it. <laughs> I didn't take a lie detector test, but- uh, <laughs> I believe but, but honestly, uh, I never enjoyed kissing any of those actresses and their friends mm-hmm. like I did kissing Shirley Boone. Now, how many movies do you think you were in, Pat? Was it like a dozen, maybe? It was about, it was about 20. I mean- 20? Yeah, there were, there were, I mean, I, I could rattle off State Fair, uh, Journey to the Center of the Earth. That was one of my favorites, Journey Goodbye, to the Center Goodbye, Charlie, um, and, and, and other films, and then lesser known ones. But then there have been some, there's three, four faith-based films in the last several years. Uh, I was in Good, God's Not Dead 2, because uh, God's Not Dead, the first one was a, a very huge success with Kevin Sorbo. Mm-hmm. And I was in God's Not Dead too, which was also successful, not as big as the first. But uh, I, I, I just came this two days ago from filming a, a, my scenes in a new film about Ronald Reagan. Oh, and wow. it's, it'll be a, a big budget film mm-hmm. filming in mm-hmm. Oklahoma right now. And I play a part. In fact, it's really interesting. Uh, I don't know if this has ever happened before. Well, yeah, it has. Somebody told me Shia LaBeouf. Mm-hmm. just did a film where he played his father while a kid played him. Well, I'm, I'm doing a scene where the, the actor, the, the young actor and actress play Pat and Shirley Boone. And I play an older man named George Otis with silver white hair who made a prophetic utterance to Ronald Reagan saying that if he walked up right before God, he would dwell at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. He mm-hmm. delivered that prophetic word in a little meeting up in the governor's mansion when Governor when Reagan was governor, not even talking about running for president. But that word of prophecy came that he would dwell in the in the White House. And so we portray that scene in the movie, but mm-hmm. I'm playing old George Otis, and this young couple is playing Pat and Shirley Boone <laughs> in the same movie. How Very weird of a feeling is that? I mean, because you are Pat Boone, but yet somebody else is playing but you. Hopefully, hopefully, a lot of people won't know <laughs> that, uh, that in that when they see that scene, mm-hmm. the young guy looks a lot like me and is made to look like me. He was even wearing white shoes. Oh man! But uh, but I'm a I'm playing a silver-haired older man, and uh, with glasses, and I'm delivering this prophetic word. Uh, in the governor's mansion in uh, Sacramento. It really happened. And of course, it was a true prophetic word because it happened exactly as that word Mm -hmm. prophesied. 
It's, this is all amazing. This is amazing <laughs> conversation. I'm just wondering how in your in your life have you had time to do all of the things that you have accomplished? I mean, you have a record label, which I love that whole golden agers um, yeah, yeah, label, yeah. but with all the the uh, older generation of yeah, art. Right. Yeah, the, the gold record people, it's called gold label. Mm -hmm. And it, you don't get on it unless you've sold a million records at once or twice. And uh, you know, at, at the beginning, we had so many people because I was uh, sort of upset. I tell people I created the, the gold label out of uh, out of anger and opportunism, anger that uh, that so many of us artists weren't on anybody's label, even though we helped build the labels. But they were always the labels were looking for the next million selling artist and letting people like Perry Como, Frank Sinatra, Bing Crosby, Andy Williams, Tony Bennett go. And, uh, and so I started a label and we got a number of those artists on my label. At one point, we had Patty Page, we had- um, Tip we Glenn had Campbell. Glenn Campbell, yes. Um, and, um, and some major artists, Jack Jones, and of course me and Debbie and, and, uh, and a bunch of others. But then the company that was our they did our inventory and some of our manufacture went bankrupt, left us holding the bag. Oh, and man. so I had to let the artists go. But, uh, but the label was built for, for artists who were still performing, who, who still could sing, who could sell records to their fans. But if they, if they weren't guaranteed or thought to sell 3 million singles, the record companies weren't interested. So we did okay for a while until uh, a company sank beneath me <laughs> and uh, we still have the gold label. And, uh, and in fact, the, uh, the cat we get along is on that label. Oh, nice, nice, real nice. Let me, um, talking about music and recording uh, the old story about Elvis. I know you've, t you've told others this story, but yeah. Elvis opened for you and yep. then Elvis went on to be Elvis. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that was in Cleveland uh, in 1955, October mm -hmm. 55. I had started recording uh, the Two Hearts, Two Kisses was was uh, in uh, March of 55. And then Ain't That a Shame was in May. And after that, several other. In fact, uh, before I met Elvis, well, no, I, I've got to get the story straight. When we first met was in Cleveland. And my third record of At My Front Door, Crazy Little Mama Coma, knocking, knocking at my front door, door, door. And, and it was <laughs> on its way. And um, you do have it? Great. And so I was well, asking. You have it. I was saying when you sang, you still have it, which is. Oh, oh. <laughs> like, wow. A different key, a different key. Yeah, but anyway, uh, the, the DJ was holding this huge. Uh, uh, um, DJ hop record hop in uh, high school 3,000 kids and he asked I'd moved to New York because the records were happening come back and, and headline this this uh, sock hop for Bill Randall W-E-R-E -E, in Cleveland mm -hmm. and I arrived there to do that and uh, he picked me up at the airport he says we got a kid coming up from Shreveport tonight to be on the show with you uh, he's a kid who's just been signed by RCA Victor. 
I said, really, what's his name? He said, well, you wouldn't have heard of him. It's Elvis Presley. I said, I've heard of him. A record in Dallas on the jukebox. I said, but, uh, but Bill, he's a hillbilly. He sings country. You think this is rock and roll time, isn't it? He said, well, RCA Victor thinks they've got something. That's why he's, he's appearing on the Louisiana Hayride in Shreveport. He's known as a rockabilly. He's singing country songs with a kind of a rock uh, feeling to them. And so he said, we're going to hear him tonight. I just wanted to see what he's like because RCA thinks they've got something. So I was backstage when Elvis walked in with three of his buddies, collar turned up, pants hanging down over his scuffed up blue suede, I mean the white buck shoes, <laughs> hair long and kind of greased back. And I said, hi Elvis, I'm Pat Boone. Nice to meet you. I said, uh, Bill Randall thinks uh, that some big things may be ahead for you. I don't know, I hope so, I hope so. And he just leaned back against the wall. He didn't want to talk. He was shy. Literally, he was shy. No kidding. And his buddies closed in around him. I, I think it was Lamar Fike and uh, Charlie Hodge. I don't think Red Scotty Moore. Mm -hmm. And so I, I could see he didn't want to talk. He was socially kind of bashful. And so when he went on stage and Bill Randall said, you don't know this young man, kids, but uh, RCA Victor signed him and we just want to get acquainted with so give him a nice hand here is Elvis Presley well he came out and he you know you lip sync your records on the sock hop so mm -hmm. he was lip syncing blue moon of Kentucky keep on shining it was country I mean it was bluegrass <laughs> this was not what the kids in Cleveland wanted to hear but right. but they you know he was good looking he was he would look like the kind of the guy that the girls weren't supposed to hang out with. The mom and daddies didn't want him to anyway. And, and so he finished that song. They gave him a big hand. He says, Thank you very much. I like to do those side of that record for you. Hope you like it. And he sang, That's all right, mama. That's all right with me. And it was rhythm and blues, and they loved it. And that's all he had. So when he finished that, he bowed and left. I came on, I had my three hit singles. So I got all the screams that night. When I came off, he was gone. And it was about a year and a half after that when we were all now both signed to do movies at 20th Century Fox, both renting homes in Bel Air. And I went over to have dinner with him at his place he was renting. And, uh, and I said, Elvis, that first night we met, you seemed so shy, kind of bashful. I, I was a little worried for you. He said, well, I don't know how to talk to you, man. What do you mean? He said, well, you're a star. I said, I'd only been recording since March. March. Yeah, but you were on the charts. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't know how to talk to you. Well, he got over that shyness, at least on stage and, you know, in person-to-person -person conversation. But, but literally, he was always uh, not comfortable in any kind of a crowd where he didn't know the people unless he was performing mm -hmm. turn him loose with his guitar with his musicians he was at home that was his element but uh but he really kept to himself he felt like he had to but he asked me once backstage in uh, las vegas back in the dressing room he said i wish i'd go to church like you do and i said you can why not he said well i know he said you know if i show up at church you know i'll be a distraction from the preacher and there'll be kids who want my autograph I said, you don't think that happens to me? It happens to me. Mm -hmm. Yes. But 
I said, I tell the kids, wait till after service. I'll sign your bulletins after the service. I'm just here for the same reason you are. We're going to worship. I said, they'll leave you alone. They'll be looking at you. Yeah. But uh, they'll see that you're there for the same reason they are. And, and you can enjoy the worship service. Then sign those bulletins. They'll take them to school like they do when I sign them. And kids will say, where'd you get that? Where, where were you? Elvis was at your church or Pat Boo was at your Can I come? <laughs> and let it be an evangelical outreach. <laughs> he said, I, don't, I can't do that. And then he said, can you, do you know Earl Roberts? I said, sure, I do. I'd like to talk to Earl Roberts. I said, let me give you a clue. Your name is Elvis Presley. Get on the phone, call Oral Roberts University, tell the operator, I'm Elvis Presley, and I want to talk to President Roberts. In 30 seconds, he will be on the phone. He said, no, I couldn't do that. I don't know him. I said, okay. So I called Oral Roberts. Oral Roberts flew out, met with Oral, told me later that he said, the man is spiritually hungry. You know, he was a church-going boy when he was growing up, like you were, to me. And, I, and he's hungry for that kind of experience. He wants it in his life. He sings gospel music till four in the morning with the gospel quartets that appear with him on stage. And he knows a lot of gospel songs. And, and it has to, to him, it's substitute for church. He just didn't feel he could get out there and mix with the people. He lived like public enemy, number one, instead of the <clears throat> biggest recording artist in the world as he became. But he and I knew each other well, and we were buddies. Last time we met was uh, um, in the Memphis airport. And he was on his way back to Las Vegas. He gained some weight. He had some white stuff around his lips, of which I took to be Maalox something, because he was still nervous about flying. Sure. And uh, I had my four daughters with me, because we had become a family act, as I told you. And he said, where are you going? Oh, I said, uh, Orlando. He said, that's the wrong way, man. He turned to his buddy and said, he's always going the wrong way. And I said to Elvis, well, Elvis, it depends on where you're coming from. And that was our last That's wow. last exchange. Pat Boone, you're always going the wrong way. Elvis, it depends on where you're coming from. <laughs> and that was yeah. our last conversation. You know, back in, what was it, 77 when we lost him. So yep. that was... Uh, Quite the tragedy. As a matter of fact, uh, just a, a little fact, probably unknown to you, but the he was going to play here in Syracuse uh, the following night. Oh, uh, he was found kidding. dead like the day before he was supposed to appear in Syracuse. Oh, wow. yeah. oh. I didn't even know that. Yep. Well, you would have heard him sing "How Great Thou Art." Mm -hmm. He was he was including now some gospel songs in his mm -hmm. performances. Uh, he didn't just sing them backstage with his buddies after the show. He realized that his audience would love hearing him. In fact, the only Grammys he was ever nominated for, because I don't know if you knew this yet, but uh, we both preceded the Grammys. There were no Grammys <laughs> when we first were in our heyday. And, uh, and so he got nominated for his only Grammys, which were for gospel recordings posthumously after he was gone. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He never got Grammys for, no. and, and, and nor did I, for my Love Letters in the Sand or April Love or Love Moody River, Speedy Gonzalez or him from Don't Be Cruel. and Speedy Gonzalez, oh my Lord. 
Yeah. Somebody was just playing that for me the other day. And I said, that's Pat Boone. And then we're going to be talking to him. Yeah. And, uh, and it's been ages since I've heard that. And I had to laugh. That was such a, such a big hit. Well, yeah. let me conclude with this. Uh, I was with Elton John a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And he'd now become Sir Elton. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were at an event uh, for an organization I helped start called S- Society of Singers. It's a, it's a group mainly supported by entertainers and their fans mm-hmm. uh, for singers who are background singers or maybe recording artists, but who, uh, who have fallen on some harder times and, uh, and need help. And so the Society of Singers was created to help them. And we honor with an Ella Award, Ella Fitzgerald, a singer every year, and a great host of great performers have been given the Ella Award. This this night, it was for Elton John. So there was a big line of us in the taking pictures. And I waited my turn, like everybody. And and uh, he's, face, he's facing away from me, the last person. And as he turned to me, I said, Sir Elton, and he said, you're Pat Boone. I said, yes. <laughs> and he had this guilty look on his face, a grin. I said, you know, I recorded a song called Speedy Gonzalez. And he said, yes. And I thought you were going to sue me because I loved your record so much. That la, 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 la. He said, I used it on Crocodile Rock. And I said, yes, you did. And he said, I thought you were going to sue me. Oh my God! La, 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 la. Mm-hmm. And and he he borrowed it from my Speedy Gonzalez. I, I had said, no idea. What a compliment, man! I mean, anytime, it's, they call it sampling now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, he, he lifted. I had no idea that refrain from Speedy Gonzalez <laughs> for <laughs> Crocodile Rock, and uh, and of course, uh, I was thrilled. Mm-hmm. Well, Absolutely. look, I we, we talked an hour away. Mm-hmm. Yes, we have. And, uh, you know, you're blessed. And uh, this, uh, Pat, I was calling you Mr. Boone in the beginning. You said, no, 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 call me Pat. But oh, I have the yeah. utmost respect for you and what you've done, uh, your life, your career, and you're still going strong. You, you, you're talking about, you know, shooting a movie. You're still doing that. And uh, your yep. music is still with us. You've got the uh, Can't uh, can't We Get Along that you wrote um, that's mm-hmm. out there. Um, it's just you're just a wonderful person. And uh, I, I, I want to say thank you for agreeing to do this because it's just, you know, I'll, I'll admit we do a lot of these, but I got nervous. Mm-hmm. When I heard that Pat Boone was going to be on with me just because who oh. you are and all that. And you've proven to, I think myself and Deb that, you know what, you're no different than you and I, you've had a great yeah. life, a great career. Uh, you're blessed. You've worked hard. Like Deb said, you know, how you put it all together. I have no idea how you were, able to maintain such you know like a crazy life but a great life and- yeah it has been crazy in fact Shirley uh, a number of times said she felt like she was married to triplets <laughs> and, she wished, and she wished two of them would get lost <laughs> but I'm fading away as you can see I don't have enough light here now and I'm no no actually- you're good and we're gonna let you go because it has been an hour and it's one of the best conversations that we've ever had. And um, I'm going to call you Mr. Boone, but Pat, but thank you Pat. so much. Uh, Deb? I have one little request. So yes. my mother-in-law is a big fan of yours, and today's her birthday. Oh, yeah. So could you just wish oh, really? a rose lamp for your happy birthday for me? 
What is her first name? Rose. Rose. What, Rose? Rose. 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 Yeah, yeah. Rose no, Rosalind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not, you're saying Rosalind? Rosalie. Rosalie. Okay. Happy birthday to you. <laughs> Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Rosalie. Happy birthday to you. That was even better than I thought. Thank you. I'm going to cry. It has been such a pleasure to meet you and get to know you and talk to you. I should have warmed up before I started singing. But anyway. You've been warming up all night. I know. Seriously. You haven't lost it. Uh, I wish you well, my friend. Uh, We're going to be all over the the song that's coming out. And it means a lot to you. Let yes, people absolutely. see and hear it. Yes. And they can also see it on your website. They can go to YouTube. Yeah. They can yeah. wherever you can find it. Yep. Everywhere. And we'll post a link to it as well. So, Pat, God bless you, my friend. God Stay bless safe. You and bless our country and bless our troops. You got it, my friend. Peace out. Take care and uh, stay stay healthy, please. Yes. You All too. Right. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.